We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 today. Last week we started a series called Joyride where we're going to spend the next few weeks through this book called Philippians. It's a letter that's written to the church in Philippi that Paul started. Paul is writing this letter from a prison cell. Okay, So one of the, the men with the most joy in all of Rome is sitting in a prison cell. What's wrong with that picture? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like us, does it? The most joyful man in all of Rome is sitting in a prison cell, and instead of thinking about himself, he is thinking about other people. And in particularly, in this moment, in this dark, cold cell, he's writing to people that he met 10 years ago in a place called Philippi, where he started the church. And he's writing this letter to them, a letter of encouragement. Now, a lot of letters in the Bible, especially the letter to the church in Galatia, it wasn't such a good letter. A lot of churches get letters from Paul, and they're most scolding and trying to course correct the behavior because they've gone off track. But when we read the book of Philippians, this church had it together. They had it figured out. They weren't a perfect church. There, there is no such thing as a perfect church. You guys do realize that, right? Because what happens if, if you do not realize that, then the first time something happens here, you get all uptight because you think we have it all together. Y'all, we do not have it all together. Our chairs don't even match. So, Paul is writing this letter of encouragement to this church that started 10 years ago. And we find that the first converts of this church, number one, was a woman named, anybody remember from last week? Her name was Lydia. Lydia's leading a Bible study down by the river. Paul goes and meets her because they go into Philippi to find a synagogue. They want to start a synagogue. But the only way to start a synagogue in the city was there had to have been 10 righteous men in the city to start the synagogue. Now, why do you think Paul went and found Lydia? Because there wasn't 10 righteous men in Philippi. What does that have to say about that city? That was not a very good community when it came to spirituality. So he comes to Lydia. And leads Lydia, Lydia to Christ. And she says, you know what we should do? I got a big house. We should have church in my house. And Lydia starts the first small group in the Bible. And the first church that we see being established at the rate that it is. And so Lydia begins this service in her house. And Paul and, and his followers are going every day. And they're preaching the gospel. And he's teaching Jesus. And one day, remember, he runs across a woman who's being trafficked. Um, she's demon-possessed. Some men have found out that she's demon-possessed because she can tell the future. So they begin using her to make money. And you remember what happens? Paul casts the demon out of her. And because he cast the demon and saved this woman's life, he now has been thrown in to prison. Well, guess what happens to her? She, the slave girl, gives her life to Christ and begins attending the church of Philippi. While Paul is in prison... Remember the earthquake hits? They've been praying and singing hymns all night, not complaining about, look at our situation, look at what we're in. Hey, God meant this for good. We're here for a reason. Let's figure out why we're here in this prison cell. But while we're here, we will praise, and that's what we're going to do. And they begin to sing and to pray all night. And our earthquake hits. And the Roman guard is so fearful for his life because he feels that, that when he can see that all these prisoners are going to have escaped. And if they've escaped, then he's going to lose his life for falling down on the job. And as he gets ready to take his own life, he hears a voice call out from the darkness of Paul going, Do not harm yourself. We are still here. 
And he falls to his knees and wants to know about this man named Jesus. And Paul will lead him to Christ and his family to Christ and baptize him. The first three converts in the book of Philippians are a woman, a slave, and a Gentile. And I told you last week, the reason that was so important is because the prayers that Paul would have prayed as an upstanding Jewish man up until his conversion would have been this. Thank you, God, that I am not a woman a slave or a Gentile. And I want you to look what God does in the first part of Philippians when he converts these three people, the woman, the slave, and the Gentile, saying the gospel is for all people. So last week we talked about two verses for about 45 minutes. Today we're going to talk about 11 verses. Um, That's not going to be 45 minutes. But I want to start out in chapter 1, verse 3, because Paul says this. He says, I give thanks... I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you. I thank God every time I think about you. Every every time you come in, I'm sitting in this jail cell right now, and I'm thinking about you. And as I'm thinking about you, and I'm seeing the faces of the people that attend the church of Philippi and those who have have been there from the beginning, I, I can only think joyful thoughts. I can only think about you in this moment and all that God has done. And I'm so thankful for you because of what you're doing. If you'll notice throughout Paul's letters, Paul's prayers were never focused on himself. They were never focused about the things. His prayers in his letters were always for the people. He's always praying for his people, not really concerned about himself. And 10 years later, from the time this church started to this moment that Paul is writing and pinning these words to this church, he's still praying and and, and remembering and being thankful for all that's happening. He's praying for these people, which I think brings a very good question. Who's praying for you? Who, Who do you know is in your corner that is praying for you. How many of you know you need people in your life who are praying for you? When you don't have enough faith and you don't know that God can do it, you need people in your corner who will pray on your behalf and they will be the strength and and, and meet you in the middle of where you just need a little bit of push to believe that God is doing it, that will walk with you. You need people like that in your life. And you may say, I'm good, I've lived this long without it. That's good, but what would your life look like had you lived with somebody in your life willing to get down in the trenches with you and pray you through it? you got to have people in your life who will pray for you. And if you don't have those, we have a prayer team here. And every week we get emails about all the different prayer requests, and they're prayed for by name every single week. And if you have things that you want to pray for that are privately, we can send them privately. And if you have public things that you want to be public, we can pray for them publicly. But we believe in the power of prayer, and we want to pray alongside of you and walk with you through the process. Sometimes we don't pray because we think that our prayers aren't a big deal. Anybody ever felt like that? Like, it's really not a big deal. I don't, God, God's got a lot of things he's got to worry about, right? Have you, have you seen the state of, of the world right now? Uh, I don't think he cares about this little thing, but, but can I tell you, God cares about every prayer, whether little prayer or big prayer in your mind. To him, it is his child speaking to him. And prayer is important. Look at what, what happens when John is writing in the book of Revelation. 
in chapter 8, he says this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about an hour and a half. For 30 minutes, there was silence in heaven. Do you know why there was silence in heaven for 30 minutes? If you'll continue to read in chapter 8, there was silence because they lit incense so that God could hear the prayers of his people. He shut down all of heaven for 30 minutes. Everybody just be quiet. I just want to hear the prayers of my people. Do you think your prayers are important? Do you think God cares about your prayers? I mean, it's silence because he wants to hear from his children. He wants to hear from you. The good news is this, that every time you pray, you have God's attention. You have his full attention when you're talking to him. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. It doesn't matter what's happening in you. It doesn't matter what's happening to you. When we approach the throne of God, we approach him with confidence that he hears us. Everything, whether small or large. He's not caught off guard by anything that's happening in our lives. He is an all-knowing God. He knows exactly what's going on. But he hears you because he is attentive, because he is a loving, kind, merciful, graceful, and truthful father. That's the God that we serve. Amen? Kind of worried about y'all this morning. Y'all, y'all didn't get enough coffee. So the, the question again is, are there people in your life who are praying for you? And you've and you, you got to make sure that that answer is yes. you got to know. How many of you ever received that text or that email or just somebody saying, hey, I prayed for you today, just so you know. Just prayed for you today. Anybody? Like, y'all don't interact a whole lot on Facebook, which is fine. But, um, especially when we talk about, here's how you can give. But when we put out, and I love this because this shows, <laughs> but for real. It, it, but what, what's beautiful is, when we'll post something about, hey, how can we pray for you? Or who's the last person that you pray for? Y'all just, y'all, my, my phone just dings because y'all light it up. Because y'all know what's important. You believe, you believe in the power of prayer over each other. This, this I remember when we started and I remember Ms. Gretchen and I had this conversation, is that if we don't get prayer and the Holy Spirit right, we don't get church. If we can't cover things in prayer and pray for them, we can't do this. Because it's just a gathering of people, and there's no move of God because we wouldn't even know if there was a move of God because we're not spending enough time with him to hear from his voice to know if we are moving with God. So... There's a church that's praying for you, but you need other people too, like individuals in your life that are praying for you. So Paul says, I, I give thanks to my God every time that I remember you. But listen to this. He says, I thank God every time I remember you, and I'm always praying with what? With joy. Always praying with joy. Fourteen times in this letter of Philippians, that word joy is dropped in here from a guy who's writing this from prison. I think you would agree with me that if I'm writing anything in prison, it's my appeal to get out of here. It's trying to find a way to get out or at least get myself some work service or to lighten the load or to put me in solitary confinement because I don't know if you know, I wouldn't survive a day in prison. But Paul is, is writing this and he's writing on a topic of joy. It's almost as if God is doing something in him that is now starting to, 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 to take form in him, that he wants to get it out of. This is, this is joy. And so he mentions it. 
14 times throughout this letter. And how can Paul have so much joy in such a dark place? You and I have probably been through hard times in our lives. But how do we find that joy in the middle of the tragedy and the traumas and the sufferings and the pains? How do we find it? It's an acronym. You can write this down. We don't have it on the screen. But uh, there's one writer that says that if you want to have joy, you've got to do it in this order. You've got to have Jesus. That's a good place to start with joy because you can have happiness. But there were things as a kid that I got that made me happy, and I don't even know what those things are today. Like the Happy Meal is good for the first 10 minutes. Went until the, the burger's gone, the fries are gone, and the toy breaks, right? But joy can only come from Jesus. It's the only place you'll find it. Our, our world will never be content with who it is until it finds Jesus. Ever. Never. Because it'll always be happy, but never have, find joy. Because we'll just keep jumping from thing to thing to thing to thing to make us happy. Jesus gives us joy. So we find joy in Jesus. We find joy in others. Put others first. How do we serve people? Do we look out for other people before we look out for the own interests of ourselves? We don't live in that culture. We live in a protect myself, do what I need to do, and then whatever's left, I'll help anybody else. But that's not the way that Jesus taught us to live. And Paul has indeed found Jesus. He's indeed serving other people. He has. He's giving his life to this. Right? So you have... You have Jesus, you have others, and you have yourself in that order. If you want to have joy, you put Jesus first, others second, and yourself third. And you're like, well, man, I feel like I kind of get the, the end of the line. Let me just tell you, those first two things will fill you, and you will be living in the sweet spot of what you've been created to do and be living in your purpose that, that your, yourself coming third will not even matter anymore because you'll realize it's not about you. And then in your weakness, God will make you strong. God will give you what you need when you just put yourself in that order. So Jesus, others, and yourself. That's, that's really easy to say. Really difficult to live, isn't it? Especially putting that others third or second spot. But let me tell you a couple of things just on how to have joy from this letter. If you want to have joy, you can't compare yourself to other people. Don't compare yourself to other people. Comparison is the thief of all joy. Because if you try to compare and copy what somebody else is doing, trying to be like somebody else, trying to do what somebody else does, you will fall short. Why? Because number one, I don't know what that person had to do to get in that place. And I'm trying to copy and be a second-hand copy of an original that God didn't call me to. He's called you and wired you uniquely to do the things that you can do. And your shortcomings that you write off as like, I'm not good at this and I can't do this, aren't write-offs. God can use anything. Amen? And if you don't believe that, there's a story about a guy in the Bible named Balaam who had a donkey and the donkey talked. And if God can use a donkey, I'm sure as positive that he can use you and me. And the ladies in the house said, Amen. Don't compare yourself to other people. That will rob the joy. He, Paul says you, you imitate Jesus. Even when he called people to imitate, and we'll get to this throughout this, but he says, if you're going to imitate, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. That's where you'll find your joy. 
So don't, don't find yourself in the comparison of trying to compare to other people. Also, do not take credit for what God is doing in somebody else's life. Like, oh, look, I, I've been, yeah, they're doing really well. I've been working with them and praying for them, and, and I helped them get in this group. And I remember when I used to teach them in Sunday school, and now look at them. Don't try to take credit for other people. Give God the credit that God deserves for other people. Because we're powerless. We can't get anything right. It's, it's, we're, we're, it's very difficult for us to try to, to make people do things that we want them to do. Am I right? If you don't believe this, when we leave here today, there will probably be a conversation in your car, and it's going to start like this. Where do you want to eat today? What do you want for lunch? Am I right? How hard is that conversation? Yeah, somebody, if, I, don't, I don't care where we go. If somebody would open a restaurant called I Don't Care, we'd be rich. But if you can't convince the people in your car to go to the same restaurant, can't control that, you're not going to be able to control what somebody else is doing in, in, in their life. You can't take credit. I, like one of my pet peeves is when people say, well, I go to Pastor Robbie's church. This ain't my church. The senior pastor here is who? Jesus, right? He just lets me be an under-shepherd here for as long as he wants, but he can take me out right now if he wanted to, right? Please don't, but he can take me out right now. Like, I don't take credit for what happens here. You shouldn't take credit for what happens here. Jesus gets all the honor, the praise, and the glory because he's the one that does it. It's him and through the work of his Holy Spirit. So do me a favor. When you refer to the church, could you say, our church, our church, because we are in this, you ready, together. Isn't that interesting how that name just kind of worked out? But we're in this together. So he says, I pray with joy. I'm pr always praying with joy, but he says, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer. Every time I think of you, I'm praying. I'm so joyful. It fills my heart because of your, you ready, this is why, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, from the first day that we started this little church in, in, in Philippi, in Lydia's home, till 10 years later where you're thriving and you have a structured church because you have overseers and you have elders and you have deacons and you got people showing up and you got people coming to know Christ. He says that as I'm, I'm praying and I'm getting joy in every single one of these prayers, it's because of the partnership from the very first day. That word partnership means fellowship. And I'm not talking about like the fellowship hall or we're going to have an ice cream social. When we talk about fellowship in the Bible, what we're talking about is there is a deep and abiding friendship there. Like we're going to go to war together if we have to. You mess with my child, I mess with somebody. You know what I mean? Like we got each other's backs. I was talking about this yesterday, but, but when I was growing up, maybe for some of you too, um, anybody had a right to discipline you, right? We had substitutes that would give paddlings to say the principal sometime when I was growing up. So everybody kind of community-wide partnered together. I, I called that deep and abiding relationships when you felt like you had all the right to lay hands on somebody else's kid. Now sometimes that didn't work out and there's a reason that's changed, but there is a deep and abiding friendship. The, these, these fellowships are rooted in Jesus, not hobbies. There's a big difference between having, having fellowship with somebody and having a buddy. 
Buddies typically go around hobbies, and hobbies typically die. I have moved a set of golf clubs in my garage for the past two years. From here to over here. My movement of my golf bag has more distance than the golf balls that I've hit. They just sit there. But there was a time that I played golf. There was a time that I would go with a group of students. First mistake, probably why I don't play anymore. We had a bunch of high schoolers and we would golf. That's all we did. It was around a hobby. And then all of a sudden, the hobby kind of decreased and we didn't play anymore. And for the last few years, I've been moving golf clubs from here to here, from home to home. Anybody want any golf clubs? All right, they're yours. Seriously, they're yours. Merry Christmas. I, the last move, everybody, going to be from my garage to Leon's. May God forever bless you in that. When things are around a hobby, hobbies die. I don't need buddies. You need real fellowship. Real fellowship is the people that have the code to your door and can get into your home. And they're refrigerator people. They can get whatever they want out of the refrigerator. Doesn't matter. Those are the deep, abiding friendships, fellowship that Paul is referring to here. When he's saying, when I'm partnering with you in the gospel, there's a, there's a friendship. Like, you can come into my home. What is mine is yours. We're, we're in this together. He says that we were created to have people in our lives who are willing to go to spiritual war with us. Who is it that you call when life falls apart? Who is it that you lean into, that you gain wisdom from? What, what follower of Jesus is that for you? And I say that with caution. What follower of Jesus is that for you? Because sometimes we go to get advice from people that don't know Jesus, and that will leave you empty, okay? It will not help. It might help temporarily, but it will not help in the long term. Who has your back in those situations? Paul said, I consider you partners in the gospel. So what does it mean to be a partner in the gospel? Let me tell you a few things real quick. Number one, to be a partner in the gospel means that you've received the gospel. You have received the good news of Jesus that you believe that when Jesus died on a cross, that counted for you. Like it meant something for you that you have, have, have been adopted in as a son and daughter, that your sins have been paid for, that you don't have to pay for those sins because you can never pay for those sins. You can never work those sins off. Why can't you work those sins off? Because the wages of sin is death. doesn't matter how much you work. So when Jesus died on the cross, you're, you're saying, I believe that counted for me. Like he paid that cost for me. And, and receiving the gospel doesn't mean that you're just a part of the church. You're not, you're never saved to the church. You're being redeemed from the inside out. So if you want to part in the gospel, you've got to accept and receive the gospel by surrendering your, your life to the lordship of Jesus. But also, here's the second thing, you've got to be a part of the body. Now, this is where some people get really aggravated, especially since COVID, but partnering with the body means to be present with the body. Staying home to watch church is like staying home from a friend's wedding. You watch the ceremony virtually and you're keeping all the wedding gifts to yourself. And if you're watching online, some of you are watching because you have to. I get it. But you need to be here in the presence of the people. We gather together. 
Dane Ortland says this, that your presence and your love and your hugs and your eye contact and your singing are needed. It's not just about passively receiving something. It's about being an embodied part of a celebration. The whole event is diminished by your absence, and you have a gift to give when you come into this place. Amen? You have a gift to give. You're not saved by the church, but you are saved into the church. Christianity is a team sport. It's not an individual sport. People say, I don't need the church. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. The church is one body with many parts. Now what happens to a disconnected body part? Let's just say hypothetically, you go back to your car after service and you find a severed arm by your car. Hypothetically. You don't have to be a doctor to realize that's not supposed to be there. Am I right? That severed arm should be attached to somebody's body. Now, other things should begin coming into mind as you survey this situation. That if said arm is here, where is the person that it should be attached to? Are they bleeding out? Um, are they a zombie? Somebody playing a practical joke? Where did the arm come from? Why did they choose to leave it beside my car? Is it a cartel? Like, what's going on? If you find a body part in the parking lot, you would definitely think something had gone awry. It's messed up. Because what happens if that body part just sits there over time? Well, eventually it dies. It shrivels and just dies. When you are disconnected from the body, you will die. All life will go away. It, it, it won't be there because when you disconnect from the church, your future shrivels up. You begin to stink. You've got a nasty attitude. Everything's wrong. You're critical. And, you, and typically, you become critical of the church. And you'll shrivel up and you'll die. We are to be a part of the body. And some people would say, I have church hurt. Well, uh, uh, people hurt people. Anybody hurt anybody before? Intentionally, unintentionally? Are we all guilty at some point? We have. We're sinners. But I would say this, the church didn't hurt you. There were some people in the church that hurt you. You had a bad church experience. Don't give up on the church. Thank God that the disciples didn't give up on Jesus because of Judas. You need to be a part of the body. To partner in the gospel also means that we partner in preaching the gospel. We share the good news of Jesus of what happens because we know it is done for us. We pray for people. We share invitations for people to be a part of our groups or to be a part of our service or, or, or invite them to a conversation over coffee or over dinner. We share, we share stories. We share our faith. And we allow the Holy Spirit to move those conversations and just kind of go wherever he goes. I had this conversation this week with someone about, um, that we were talking about 
religion, and they were like, oh, so you're a pastor? I said, yeah, I'm a, I'm a pastor. And they said, um, I grew up in the church, but I, I left it. You know, my mom was big in the church, and, and she just said, honey, I don't care if you attend church or go to church. The biggest thing is that you learn how to love people, because that's all that matters in the end. And I thought, oh, but that's not because you don't know love, because that sounds good, right? But if you don't know Jesus, you don't know love, because the first John says that God is love. It's just a spiritual conversation, of just walking and sharing a scripture or a thought, something from the Holy Spirit that is partnering in the gospel. You also partner in generosity to push the gospel forward. Because remember, it's about Jesus, it's about others, and then it's about yourself. Giving generously. The church of Philippi was one of the strongest financial supporters for Paul's ministry, and they would go on to help plant other churches, even in their regions. And they financially helped the gospel move forward through their serving and through their giving and through their different talents. Like, we, we do that here. Like, we, we have opportunities to, to give and, and support what's happening in this room, what happens outside of this room. Like, we have people going to Jamaica to share the gospel, to partner with other churches and moving the gospel forward. By the way, the church in Jamaica would like to come here and do a mission trip. Would you guys be up for that? Good, because we're going to need your homes to make that happen. We'll talk to you about that. But they want to come here and serve because we've been serving and showing them what it looks like. They want to come here and serve. They want, to, they want to bring their people on mission. And when we give financially, we're giving to that. We're, we're giving to help that. When we, when we give to camp, and, you, and you're, many of you have sponsored kids and you've donated supplies, and you're not just giving of these resources. You're investing for a moment for these kids that have an encounter with Jesus. Because our students are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today, right now. They're learning, and they're watching you. We've seen generosity through Haiti. We were able to give um, our first check to Haitian Christian Projects last month to feed kids. We, we've taken over $2,000 already in our houses for Haiti. That we're going to be building a house faster than I thought we would. Which I, well, we not. The, the Haitians are. We're just going to fund it. That, that's, that's giving. That's the importance of giving. We've been able to help plant churches. And through giving, and, and a lot of times people say, because you gave, this happened. No, because you were obedient, God allowed this to happen. Because who's it about in the end? It's about him. And so you've partnered in generosity and continue to partner in generosity to help people far outside of this room. There are eight people so far that are going to dip the waters in baptism next weekend. You know why that happens? Because the generosity of the people of sharing your story, sharing your faith, sharing your time, sharing coffee, and then and financially partnering with the church. That's why that happens. We make a dent into the kingdom of darkness. So Paul will end it this way. He says, I'm sure of all this, that he who started a good, y'all remember this verse, this is a good one. Remember, I am sure of all this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day that Jesus returns. Why do you think he's reminding the church of this? It's been 10 years. They seem to be doing pretty good. The health check is passed. They're, they're doing well. So why would he feel the need to tell them to keep on keeping on? Because they've not completed it yet. Hey, y'all, we've not completed it yet either. 
until the trumpet sounds and Jesus takes us home or takes the last breath out of our body. We are not done. Doesn't matter how young or how old you are. This verse right here will get you through some difficult times. That if you have your confidence in the right place, that you believe that God who started all this good work in me is going to be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus. Because one of the hardest things is discipling people and going, oh my gosh, they don't have it yet. They don't have it. I've been working with them for a year and they don't have it. And you can get so frustrated. But if you'll be reminded that the God that started the good work in that person is going to be sure to complete it. Not our job to complete it. It's our job to disciple and continue to point people towards Jesus. He completes it. You have to be confident not in your ability, but confident in he who began the good work in you. Be confident in Jesus who started that good work. You're not happy where you are right now. You feel like you're not grown enough. Be confident that Jesus will get you where you need to be when you need to be there. He's really good at timing. Life is a journey, not a snapshot. It's a journey. It's a journey. Are you confident in the finished work of Jesus that he can do what he said that he can do and he can do whatever he wants to do? And he says this, indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you. He's talking about this whole collective. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I feel this way about you. Our family feels this way about you. Because this is one of the greatest honors of my life to be up here. It's one of the greatest honors of my life to have pastor put in front of my name. But to be able to pastor you as people and walk with you and pray with you and teach you and learn from you has been one of the greatest honors of my life. And he says this, it's right for me to think about all these things because I have you in my heart and you are all are partners with me in grace. Both in my imprisonment, not that that's going to happen. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affections of Christ Jesus. Now I want to ask this last question. How did Paul know the affections of Jesus? Because the disciples had a front row seat to these things. They watched Jesus walk on water. They participated in the feeding of the 5,000. They watched him be resurrected. So how did he know? Because John 15 says that if you'll abide in me and I abide in you, he was connected to the branch. He was connected to the life source. We don't have to see it to know that it's true. We just got to live it and be connected to the source. He finishes it this way, and he writes, he writes down his prayer. Notice, there's no unspoken prayer. Paul, Paul didn't say, hey, I got an unspoken prayer. If you could do this. He physically writes down his prayer. You ready? He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep growing in knowledge. And now that word knowledge doesn't mean like we just think it. We learn by doing. Right? One time. I changed an electrical socket and didn't flip the breaker. Now, I flip the breaker when I change electrical sockets. I learned by doing. Anybody? And he says that I want you to keep growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment by doing it. Discerning things. We are living in such a, a dark time that you've got to be discerning. You've got to hear from the Spirit and not just take these little happy coffee cup theology pieces and really get down in the scriptures to see what scripture says. He, he says that you're growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and that may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. And here's what he calls us to. He calls us to partner in the gospel with him. And here's my challenge for you today, right? My challenge for you is this. Will you commit to partnering in the gospel, to continue to partner in the gospel? Are you praying for your, your church body? Are you praying for one another? Or are you in the trenches with one another? I'm just asking questions. I know a lot of the questions that for many of you, yes, we are. But to partner in the gospel, first and foremost, is that Jesus is the center. We call it gospel centrality. Everything flows from, from Christ into everything else in your life. And you know, we're not just here as a gathering of people to feel good today, to hear a sermon today and walk out and then come back next week and refuel. We are in here to celebrate a living and a resurrected God. Sometimes I wonder, as we sing the words on the screen, if God were just to tap us on the shoulder and pause us and say, hey, tell me what you're singing about, if we could answer that question. Because sometimes we just got to worship with abandonment. Like, sometimes it's just taking our hands out of our pockets and just filling it. But it's worshiping a creator. You know, when we pick songs out, we don't, we don't pick songs that are just fun and cool and hip. And we believe that even by putting words on the screen, that we are putting the words for you to sing back to a heavenly father. The importance of that. Like, has the gospel fully changed your life? The work of Jesus on the cross was to completely decimate ourselves and all of the sin to build us into the people that he created us to be. And so in just a moment, we're going, we're going to stand and sing. And, and for some of you, God is speaking. There, there's some movement, and maybe even now you want to be prayed for. I want to give you a chance that if you want to be prayed for, we have people on our prayer team. If you're on our prayer team, these are the wonderful people that get the emails every week and are making sure you're prayed for. If you're on the prayer team, would you just stand where you are for a second? It's okay. These faithful people are praying every single week for you by name. And I'm going to ask them if y'all just stay right where you are. For some of you, there's some things in your life right now that you just need to be prayed over. There's some situations in your life that you want to be prayed over. Walk over to one of these people and pray for them. Let them pray for you. And you can pray for them too if you'd like. They need it. Because can I tell you this, that when you start banging on the doors of hell and snatching people out, the enemy begins to attack. I told our elders that when we put our elders in place, that they were going to feel spiritual attack the moment they took that place as being an elder of our church. Was I right? We had two elders got spiritual attack right in the first week. I don't, I don't know about this. <laughs> Glad he's messing with them. He's leaving me alone right now. But I want you to boldly just come and say, hey, pray for me. 
and we will pray heaven down, believing that God hears. If you don't have faith and don't believe that God can answer the prayer, come and let, lean on the faith of the people that are standing to pray over you. So Father, right now, I pray. In just a moment, we're going to have to take some boldness. We're going to have to take some courage. But there are things that you want us to, that need to be prayed for, God, that are off in our lives, that we need to be prayed over, prayed for. Pray that we would have the courage just to take those steps and be honest and open and transparent. There are things that have been on our hearts, on our shoulders, the weight that we've been trying to carry, and, and prayer is the way to get those weights off, God, that, that we just tell you how we feel. We, we confess sin. We repent of our sin. God, we, we tell you what our needs are. And I just pray right now in these moments as we sing and prayers will be lifted all over this place. We thank you for hearing those. But I pray that the faith of the people in this room would rise and we would believe that you will answer prayers. And I pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. If you'll stand and come and be prayed for, let us pray as we worship.